Good morning. I have a bit of a disclaimer before I go any further this morning. Uh, many of our young children have gone to Sunday school by this point in the service. Uh, every once in a great while, I give you a warning that something in the sermon will be a little more PG-13 than usual. And today's scripture lesson is hard to explain with any degree of accuracy without commenting on its references to prostitution. And that also will lead me to a short reflection uh, about some of what we are hearing about uh, day after day in the news these days regarding harassment. I'm not going to talk about either one of these uh, topics in a graphic way uh, or at great length, uh, but in case the subject itself is objectionable to you or a young person with you, I wanted to give you fair warning, and no one will be offended if anyone decides to go and uh, have a cup of coffee and come back during the hymn after the sermon. By the way, I don't expect any of the other sermons in this current series to require such a disclaimer. Next week, I am talking about the Sunday school favorite, Jonah and the Whale. Come back and join us. Let us pray together. Oh God, startle us with your truth and open our minds and our hearts to your love. As we open your mysterious texts, help us to hear what we need to hear. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So the obvious first question, why such mature material today? It was not intentional. Many of you know that I typically plan my preaching according to a cycle of biblical texts called the lectionary. These assigned lessons for each week are meant to guide preachers through the entire Bible every three years. Sticking to the lectionary encourages us to preach on the whole Bible rather than constantly repeating our favorite passages while avoiding the ones we don't like much. In the next several weeks, I'll be engaging in a strict exercise in lectionary preaching. I will be preaching on some text I have never preached before, and of the texts that were offered for each week, I have selected the one that I like the least to preach on each Sunday. Today, we start one with we start with one I don't think I like. It's from 1 Corinthians, a book where Paul speaks at length about sexual immorality. And in this passage, he writes about fornication, a word that can be defined in a whole range of ways. Some of them are more harmless than others. The reason that I don't like preaching on this passage, the reason I don't like it, is because the word fornication is probably the word most associated with an attitude of judgment and hypocrisy in the church. A moralism that often turns people away. Some preachers thrive on this stuff for plenty of unhelpful and unhealthy reasons. 
But the deeper message of this text is an important one about how people make a whole range of moral judgments. And so even though I'm not crazy about the baggage that comes with a text on fornication, it's important for the rest of us, meaning the rest of us preachers, to preach on these texts at least every once in a while. If someone asks you what your church says about those Bible passages on fornication, you should have a better answer than to say, we ignore those parts of the Bible. And so today I'm going to talk about it. Let me start here. A moment ago I used the word moralism. And moralism is different than morality. Most folks come to church with some expectation that morality is going to be discussed. You'll be encouraged to think constructively about values and choices when you come to church. That's morality. Churches that talk about morality expect their members to treat each other with justice and kindness and respect. Moralism is different than that. Moralism is the practice of casting judgments on the morality of someone else, absent of much context at all. That's what happens in your cliché, finger-wagging sermon about fornication. If we can avoid moralism and talk instead about morality, there is a way to interpret Paul's words on fornication that is both helpful and deeply relevant. I hope that's what Paul originally intended, and it's what I hope to talk about today. A healthy discussion about morality requires establishing a context. So let's talk about that first. Most of the books in the New Testament are letters. They have an author and a recipient and a situation that is being discussed in the letter. And today's passage from 1 Corinthians is no exception. The recipients of this letter are the Corinthians, residents of the city of Corinth, and in particular, the ones who were members of the Christian church there. It is to them that Paul is writing about fornication. Corinth was an important trading and shipping city. On the edge of Greece, it was in such a strategic location that for two millennia, beginning around 600 BC, boats were lifted out of the water and ferried across the isthmus on giant wheeled carts in order to get to the other side until it was possible to build a canal in the 1880s. So Corinth was busy and urban, with lots of transient people coming and going without laying down any roots. And that meant plenty of opportunities for misbehavior, including prostitution. For Christians in Corinth, this presented an interesting moral quandary. And that may sound odd to you, for most of us modern Christians probably don't think about prostitution as a moral quandary. We take it as a given that we should avoid soliciting prostitution. However, 
please consider these three historical ideas. First, in the ancient world, it was rather commonplace for religious rituals to involve prostitution. Temple prostitutes were part of plenty of religions and cults. And so especially when Christianity was brand new, it was not automatic for one to assume that a Christian person would avoid prostitution entirely. There were lots of religious people in the ancient world who did not avoid it. Second, in the Greek philosophy of the day, there was a sharp line drawn between the body and the spirit. The spirit, or the soul, was the thing that mattered. The body was a disposable vessel, expected to be cast aside upon death. And so the body's uses and even abuses were often taken rather lightly. In this world, plenty of moral people would have believed that it didn't matter much what you did with your body. Christianity presented some real challenges to this culture when it came to thinking about the body. Christians made new and interesting claims about the body. They said that God, God, came into the world with a human body. They said that Jesus, that God in human form, had a bodily resurrection, and that Jesus was most importantly remembered in communion, a ritual that remembered his body and his blood. These were strange ideas and deeply challenging in a culture that often said the body did not matter. The moral quandary in today's scripture arises out of the combination of these first two ideas. You see, there were newly converted people, newly converted Christians in the church in Corinth who did not understand why they needed to stop going to visit the prostitutes. Temple prostitutes were common in many religions. They knew this. And these Greek Christians had given up their eternal souls to Christ. So what was the big deal about their bodies anyway? This is the context to which Paul is speaking when he writes to the church at Corinth about fornication. All of that background is necessary, because in order to read this passage accurately, you must see that the issue is not limited to sexuality. Paul's point is much broader than that. He's talking about freedom of choice. And by that I mean, if you claim to follow Christ, the question this passage raises is, what are you then free to do? That's what the Corinthians were trying to figure out. Paul gives an answer. His answer reads, All things may be lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial. In other words,
words, there may be things that are legal or permissible, things for which you can make an excuse, things you can get away with and you know it. Paul says that's not a good enough standard for how you live your life. What is legal or what you can get away with or what is acceptable to your friends is not a good enough standard. You have to ask, Paul says, what is beneficial? What kind of choices are really of benefit to the people around me and for myself? In other words, this passage is meant for anyone who knew that what they were doing was wrong and maybe just wondered if it was and chose to make an excuse and keep on doing it because they knew they could get away with it. Paul says Christians are supposed to be different than that. He tells the Corinthian Christians to stop justifying their behavior and accepting this minimum competency requirement dictated by their culture. He tells them that what matters is not what is lawful, but what is beneficial. I've talked a lot today about historical context. But this lesson is not limited by history. It is incredibly relevant. For several months now, I've not spoken about a subject we've been hearing about in the news every week, the accusations of sexual misconduct that are appearing almost daily in Hollywood, in politics, and in workplaces all over. I have not mentioned it mostly because I wasn't sure what text in the Bible really spoke to what we've been hearing about, but it seems to me that this is the one. There are a variety of politicized opinions out there about the Me Too movement, but this passage makes a point that is not political at all. These days, these days in which we are living, there are a lot of people, mostly men, discovering that there are things that they have said or done in the past or present that were wrong and for which they made excuses to others or to themselves because they knew they could get away with it. They made justifications for their behavior, sometimes publicly, sometimes privately, sometimes without even realizing they were making the excuses often being in a position of power or authority, further persuaded them about these excuses. The moral question here is the same as Paul's question. Many of these behaviors may have been lawful, but were they beneficial? Did they demonstrate God's love to the person who was the victim? Did they help God's love to be expressed through the actions of the offender? <coughs> these are the questions that men should be asking these days. The vast majority of cases will never appear on a magazine rack and may not get anyone fired. But for Christians, because of our particular belief in repentance and grace, this is an occasion to reflect in a go-forward basis 
upon God's grace. One can ask, in cases where I have done what is lawful but not what was beneficial, how can I change my future behavior to be a greater reflection of Christ's love and care? How can I act in a way that values every human person, every human body, including my own, as a temple of the Holy Spirit? How can my future behavior encourage not just what is lawful, but what is beneficial? Friends, this passage doesn't have to be about prostitution. It doesn't have to be about anything having to do with sex or gender or bodies. For every week, we all engage in behaviors that may be less than beneficial. All kinds of behaviors for which we make excuses and then go on doing the same thing. We do it in our care for the environment and our helpfulness to the poor. We do it in our relationships. We often avoid difficult conversations or we enter into them with suspicion and disrespect because it is easier and we know we can. Think about how much better a world it would be if we lived not just for what is lawful, but for what is beneficial. Paul's lesson in this passage is not moralism. And I hope this sermon has not been. In some area of our lives, we are all presented with questions about what it is that we are free to do. Paul is not preaching at you to change a particular behavior. He is not suggesting that you should be perfect, nor is he shaming you for not getting there already. No, I believe Paul is writing a letter on a moral subject, and he is inviting his reader into a conversation. And maybe the conversation is simply within one's own heart, is there something in your life that is lawful, but may not be beneficial? Is there something you've been getting away with, and maybe you'll continue getting away with it forever because it's not illegal or public, but neither is it beneficial? Inside, you know that it is not helping you and that maybe it is not helping someone else. Paul asks, are you going to change it?